Oh. So um, here's what we're going to do. Tonight's going to be a little bit different. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you what we're going to do because I know some of you, uh, if you're like, um, well, I'm not like this, but my wife is like this. When things are different than the norm, it kind of throws you off. So I don't want you to be thrown off this week, okay? And some of you are new. And if you are new, uh, welcome to Refuge. Uh, my name is Matt, and I get the opportunity to talk a lot, and so does some other people. But tonight's going to be a little bit different. So if this is your first time. Don't be like, dude, this is weirded out. This is just something that we've come to a place in the text, and when you're walking through a book, this is the beauty of preaching through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. When you come to a place in a book, and this just yelled at me, Lord's Supper. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22, Lord's Supper. So let me just tell you what's going to happen, and then we're going to dig in the Word for a little bit. I'm going to speak a little, I'm going to teach a little, and then Ben's going to come and lead us in some worship, and we're going to take part of the Lord's Supper. Then I'm going to come back up and teach a little, then Ben's going to lead some more worship, and we're going to take another part of the Lord's Supper. So we're going to kind of progress through worship tonight. Is that cool? It's not going to be message, worship, message, worship, whatever. It's going to be kind of fluid tonight. So if you got your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to start there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And this is where we will begin. And there's going to be some PowerPoint up there for you. Let me, let me read um, the first couple of verses here in, in um, our passage tonight. We'll start in verse 11. Therefore, remember... I want you to circle, underline whatever you like to do in your Bible to that word. And if you don't have your Bible, circle or underline someone else's Bible. They won't be mad, I promise. Um, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, which most of us in this room would probably fall in that category. I'm, I'm not sure. There may be some people by Jewish descent in here, and that's cool. Um, anyway, um, so he says, remember that you at one time Gentiles... In the flesh were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, Paul starts talking, and last two weeks ago, um, we, we were in the first part of chapter 2. Now, let me kind of make this make sense and put it in its context. Paul, in chapter 2, remember he said, before Christ, you are dead. You're rebellious. You hate God. You're an enemy of God. You're an object of His wrath. But God. That's what we just saw. All of those signs, those cardboard testimonies, those are everyone's but God moment. And we express our depravity in different ways. And so some of you expressed your depravity pre-Christ and you had sexual relationships with people pre-marriage. You did drugs and alcohol because you were looking for a sense of identity. You did all this stuff. Me, because I got saved when I was eight years old, I didn't express my depravity in that. Right? I was trying to be a religious good person. Just as lost though. Just as messed up. So some of us expressed our depravity or our lostness in different ways before Christ. And so those testimonies were just a picture of what Christ has done in your life. Your but God moment. But now Paul gets really specific in chapters 11 through 22 where we're going tonight. And he's talking to the church at Ephesus. And they're all Gentiles. And they're all called the uncircumcision. Now... I'm going to kind of explain this passage here for a second because most of us uh, in today's time don't go around arguing over issues such as circumcision or uncircumcision. 
I've never heard anybody argue about that. And the people that do are weird, and we don't want to be around them. So, um, so I've never heard that before. And so a lot of times when I was a teenager and I really got into reading my Bible, I would skip over parts of the Bible simply because they didn't make sense while they were there. For, for instance, genealogies. You know, No one's getting super stoked over genealogies until you understand what they're all about, right? And I would be like, oh, genealogy, skip, right? Just push the skip button. Or when, they, when Paul starts talking in the epistles about circumcision, I'm like, what is he talking about? Right? I don't know. Well, it makes a lot of sense and it has a lot of weight and it carries a lot of meaning. And here's what Paul is saying. If you're a Gentile, and he was talking to a group of Gentiles, most of us in this room are Gentiles. A Gentile is someone who is not of Jewish descent. And, and some of us in this room who may be of Jewish descent are, are even in a worse shape because we're mixed, maybe. We're Samaritans, right? So that's even bad. That's even worse. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying Gentiles used to be called the uncircumcision. Now, can I just tell you this? This is not a good thing. It is a derogatory racial slur, okay, back in the day. Now, now you don't hear people calling each other uncircumcised these days. But back then, that was like someone just smacking you in the face. Like, if you're a school teacher, you probably... Probably don't hear ten-year-old little boys going up to other ten-year-old little boys and smacking them in the face and going, "You uncircumcised Philistine!" Right? It's probably not happening. But that was a horrible cuss word. Okay? Just try that on somebody sometime. If they get mad, you just be like, "You're uncircumcised, man." They won't know what you're talking about, and it's fun. Um, so, so this is a this is a cuss word, right? And the circumcised, the Jews would regularly see a Gentile and go, "You uncircumcised! You uncircumcised! What? Why?" Here's why. Uncircumcision was uncircumcision and circumcision were marks of the covenant. It was basically like you're either in the club or you're not in the club. See, you go way back to Genesis. When God called Abraham, He told him that you were to circumcise yourself. I would have loved to have been on that conversation. Um, and then you're to circumcise every male in your lineage. And that is the mark of the covenant with God. I'm thinking, God, can we come up with something different here to mark the covenant? Right? This is not cool. And, and the women uh, the women get out easy, right? They're, you know what I mean? I don't know. Uh, anyway. So he says... Childbirth. That's true. Come on. Easy, right? Um, so Paul says this. He says, You who used to be called uncircumcised, you weren't in the club. Everyone in this room would have been on the outside looking in. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. He, go, he continues on and, and kind of explains it. Look at the, the following verses here. Uh, verse 12. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. So he basically says this. He says, remember, you were separated from Christ at one time. So in chapter 2, at the beginning, he talks about how pre-Christ were dead. But now he, he gives another, another like picture. Pre-Christ, we're not just dead, but we're distant. Death and distance. So we have distance from Christ now. We're not, we're not anywhere close to God. We're not anywhere close to pleasing God. We're not anywhere close to relationship with God. And here's what he says. He says, you used to be not in the club. Used to be outside the commonwealth of Israel, which meant this. They were foreigners. They weren't citizens. And because they weren't citizens, they didn't have the rights of citizens. It's like a refugee living in a land where he has no rights. 
When I went to Israel in September, Ben was with me. Daniel Duncan, who used to speak here a lot, was with me. We went to Tel Aviv and we spent a day hanging out with Sudanese and Eritrean refugees from Africa. They fled to Israel because uh, they fled to Israel because there was war. There's war in Eritrea and obviously there's war in Sudan. And they they were in this park and we drove up and and, and Tel Aviv is a, a pretty modern city. But then all of a sudden it's like there's this refugee camp right in the middle of Tel Aviv, this huge park. And we drive up and, and we've got food for them and we've got Bibles in Arabic so we can pass them out. And some of the guys speak English, especially some of the Eritrean guys. And we sat down with them for like an hour and just hung out with them and shared Christ with them and, and, and just kind of hung with them. And their story was this. They had fled Eritrea because of the war. They had left their families and everything they owned and they had come to Tel Aviv. They're trying to get work permits so they can work and have a job. The problem is they have no papers to certify who they are so they can't get a work permit and all they can do is live in that park and beg off people. That is their only hope. They're in a land where they are not citizens and so they had no rights. That's the picture that Paul paints of us pre-Christ. You're not in the club. You're not in the club. And so the Jews knew that. So they would constantly say, you're uncircumcised. You're uncircumcised. It's a big slap in the face. But these are labels of identity. Uncircumcision, circumcision. And we still have these labels today. Now, we don't go around going, hey, I'm circumcised, you're uncircumcised. That would be weird. We don't do that. But we have labels. We have labels and there are these exterior things because even the Jews had it wrong. Because what God wanted to do eventually, he talks about this in the scriptures, was circumcise everyone's heart. The, the exterior label was leading up to an interior label where he was not just going to mark the flesh, but he was going to change the heart. He was going to change the people from the inside out. That was what it was leading up to, but the Jews became proud. And they said, we're the, we're the circumcised ones. We're the ones who have the covenants of God, and you're not in on the covenants of God. You don't get to be a part of a relationship with God. You don't get to worship at the temple like us. We're better than you, right? And what happened was this, is this identity began to be built up, and the identity was based for them on an exterior label. But we still base our identities a lot of time on exterior labels. First thing we kind of base our identities on is this. What I can do. What I can do. And that's self-righteousness, right? When I have an identity based on what I can do, what I can achieve, the trophies I can get, the things I can collect, my accomplishments, the problem with that is when your identity is based on that, when that makes up who you are, someday all of that will fall apart. For instance, what happens on the day when the businessman is too old and can't go to the office anymore and his identity is built on his level of success, but that all crumbles one day because the economy is bad, then his identity is gone, right? What happens on the day when if you're a musician, you no longer can sing? Or something happens to your hands and you can't play? If you've built your identity on that, your identity is crumbled. It's not built on what you do. But then we also, we also build our identity on some other things. A couple other things we, we build our identity on. These outward kind of symbols. Um, not just what we do, but we build it on what we have. What we can collect. The labels, right? Literally labels. The clothes that I wear. Like when I was in high school, it was like... Tommy Hilfiger, Abercrombie, the stuff I've got, now it's Mac, PC, right? The cup of coffee I've got in my hand, label. See, Starbucks isn't just selling coffee, they're selling identity, right? If I walk into a room and I've got a cup of Starbucks coffee, there's something about that that makes me feel really cool. Can I just be honest? Right? I ain't lying here, you know it. Think about the Mac PC commercials for a second. You've got a guy who's got, who represents Mac who looks really, really cool, right? Then you've got a guy who represents PC that is overweight. He's got on a suit that is too tight, and he's just out to lunch. And he's representing PC. They're not just selling computers. They're selling identity. They're selling a label. 
So we buy into that, and so we go, oh, i got to have this brand. Now, I'm not saying Mac or PC, whatever. i got a PC, and I don't look like that guy, okay? Um, but we buy into this culture that says my identity comes from what I have. So we find our identity in, in what we do and what we have, but then the last thing we find our identity in is what other people say about us. What other people say about you. And I remember, I remember being in school and we used to play this game at FCA a lot where you would put like a famous person's name on your back. I don't know if anybody's ever played this. And you would have to walk around and ask questions to people like, am I this or am I this or am I this? And, and then people would say, no, no, no. And eventually you'd have to figure out who you were. Well, we live our lives like that a lot. We just continually go around and go, hey, will you tell me who I am? <laughs> will you tell me who I am? Will you kind of feed me so that I can have some, some sense of identity? And so here's the deal. Paul is saying your identity is not wrapped up in exterior labels. For them, it was circumcision, uncircumcision. For us, that's not the issue these days. What it is more is the things that I have and the things that I do and the things that people say about me. But the, the thing that Paul's been building up to in Ephesians is your identity is not based on any of that. Because if it is, it's going to crumble someday. Your identity is not based on what you do. It's based on what God's already done for you. Your identity is not based on what you have. It's based on what Christ has given you. And you didn't deserve any of that in the first place. Your identity is not based on what people say about you. Because that fluctuates. One day someone likes me, the next day they may not. What it is built on is what Christ says about me. That I'm chosen, I'm adopted, that I'm redeemed, that I'm righteous in Him, if I'm in Him. And so that's the picture that Paul paints. So he says, you were separated from Christ, you were an alien, you were a foreigner, you were a refu- refugee who had no rights. But, but check, out, check out verse 13. But now, sounds a lot like but God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. I love that imagery. You were far off and something has brought you near. What's the something that's brought you near? The blood of Christ. So he's saying now you don't find your identity in some exterior label. Circumcision, uncircumcision, what people say about you, what you have, what you can accumulate, what you've done for yourself. None of that matters anymore. The thing that you find your identity in is the blood of Jesus Christ. That marks the new covenant. That is the new covenant. So he says, you don't find your identity in those things. You find your identity in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the first part of this, verse 11, says remember. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. It's in the imperative. And then when something is in the imperative, it means this. Remember. Not a suggestion. A command. Why would he ask them to remember? Because they're already in Christ. This is already a reality for them. The blood of Jesus is already their identity. Why is he asking them to remember? Well, let, let me just kind of tell you why. A guy named Jerry Bridges. I don't know if you've ever read any of his books. Great books. You should pick them up and read them. He wrote a book called The Gospel for Everyday Life, and it changed my life. And here's what he said in the book. This is basically the thesis of the book. You should preach the gospel to yourself every day. Now, if you're a believer in here, and some of it, not all of us may be, but those of us who are believers in here, you should preach the gospel to yourself every day. Now, we tend to think sometimes that I preach the gospel to people who've never heard the gospel or haven't accepted the gospel, and then I want to move on from that because there's deeper things, right? No, the deepest thing in the Bible, the deepest thing in the Christian life is the gospel. That God would incarnate Himself in a man Jesus, and He would die on the cross, and He would offer us salvation and redemption in the blood. That is deep, right? Why do we preach the gospel to ourselves every day? Why would Paul command them to remember? Why would it be a command? Here's why. Because two things will come out of this. If you go back to the first slide, it'll, it'll, it'll kind of bring some central focus to it. But two things can happen. Number one, we can lose great passion for what God has done in our life, for the one who saved us, Jesus, and we'll forget what He saved us from. 
and will become inoculated to the gospel. There are people that go to church every week and they become inoculated to the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. When I go on a trip to some, some place in Africa, I go get a shot so I don't get something called yellow fever or malaria or something like that. Some of you have had those shots. What they do is they literally give you enough of the disease so that your body builds up antibodies so it no longer affects you anymore. Here's what has happened. A lot of us, especially us that live in a very church culture where there's churches on every corner and Jesus is talked about a lot and we see crosses all the time. We become inoculated to the gospel. So I can see the crucifixion of Christ played out. I can hear about Jesus dying for me. I can talk about the blood of Jesus and even read about in the Bible and it doesn't move me anymore. That's a dangerous place to be. That is a dangerous place to be. When I was in Ethiopia, the first time I went there, we went with our friend Afwork to the villages, uh, and they don't have electricity there, so we dragged a generator with us and we showed him the Jesus film. Now, this was a very cheesy version of the Jesus film, I must admit. And I was a little like, eh, but these guys hadn't seen TV, so they didn't know cheesy from non-cheesy, right? We go out there and we show the movie. It's in their language, Amharic. Bad dubbing, right? It's like Jesus in a Chinese action film. It's bad. So we show the movie... And it gets to the end, and it skipped a bunch of stuff. So I was like, whoa, what's going on? Jesus is already on the cross. That's crazy. But they're, they're crucifying, and they're driving the nails to His hands and His feet. And these people who may have heard this audibly but have never seen it visually begin to moan and bawl and wail. And some of them were, were tearing at their clothes, and they were taking dirt and pouring it on their heads. I was like, what is going on? They were, they were seeing this for the first time. And then when he rose from the dead, they just went nuts. It was like someone said, hey, we're giving all of you a million dollars. And they just celebrated. Based on a cheesy portrayal of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And I sat there and I thought, has my heart become so hard to what God has done that I'm cease, I cease to be moved anymore by it? Why do we need to remember? So we don't become inoculated. But we can sing songs about the blood of Jesus and then it just doesn't, it doesn't move us. The second reason why we have to remember is this. And then we're going we're gonna to worship a little. The second reason I need to remember is because I have a tendency when I've been walking with Christ for a long time to look down on people who do not walk with Jesus. This is why people don't come to church, quite honestly. Because we get a very hypocritical, uh, we get a very pharisaical attitude. And so when I get separated from my day of conversion, when I get separated from my but God moment, I begin to forget that I was in the place where all of those people who don't follow Jesus are. And then I begin to say things like, I just wish they could get their act together. I can't believe they do that. I would never go to that part of town because those people live like that. No, you were there. Right? You were in that situation. And God saved you from it. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to take communion, and then we're going to look at some more Scripture. But the, the reason why we were going to take communion tonight is because Paul commands us to remember. And in the New Testament, the biblical New Testament way, we remember as a body. Now, there's many ways you can remember individually, but as a body, as a corporate people who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus and love Jesus. It is through the act of communion. When Jesus was having the Lord's Supper with His, his disciples, He was actually having the Passover meal, which they'd had for thousands of years. But the cool thing about this is... Jesus was redefining the elements. For the longest time, every good Jewish person had taken the Passover cup and the blood represented the blood of the Lamb that they were commanded to paint over their doorposts so the angel of death would pass over. Jesus took the cup the night with His disciples and He said, Drink this cup and every time you take Passover, every time you drink this cup, remember Me and My blood because this is the new covenant. This is about to be your new identity. 
Not what people say about you. Not what you've got or what you can do. My blood, the cup of the covenant, is about to be your new identity. So Jesus totally, he totally redefined it for him. So we're going to take, we're going to take the cup in just a second. And let me kind of just give you some instructions here. Um, Ben's going to be leading us in worship, and he's got a couple songs about the blood. So I don't, we don't want you to get in a hurry. Like you got to come up here and take it and sit back down and wait for the next thing. Sometimes we get in a hurry with this. Couple things before we take communion. Number one, the Bible says to examine yourself to make sure that you are ready to take communion. Doesn't mean you got to be perfect. None of us are perfect. That's the reason why we celebrate the blood and the body of Jesus. But but if you've got something at odds with a brother in here, um, then then you may need to take care of that. Right? You may need to examine yourself. So I'm just going to say that. Examine yourself. Secondly, is communion, biblically, is for people who are Jesus followers. People who have said, I'm following Jesus. I want to accept Him into my life. And I'm, I'm in this thing called the movement of Jesus. So tonight, this is for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus. If you're in here and you're a guest, we're glad you're here. But if you haven't given your life to Jesus, this, this is not necessarily for you. That's not to say that it can't be for you. Because the movement of Jesus is an inclusive movement, which means this. Anybody can come to the table. you just got to be willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus. So if you want to do that tonight, you can do that and come take the communion, right? So those are two things to remember as you take the blood. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then Ben's going to just lead us in some worship. And uh, you guys can come and take the cup as you feel led. And um, you can pray, pray with one another. And then I'll come back and and we'll look at this passage some more. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, for our new identity. That the blood of Jesus is our identity. Not circumcision, uncircumcision, or what we do, or what we have, or what people say about us. Our identity is wrapped up in the blood that was spilled from the cross. And what you've done in us to make us your children. So God, tonight as I, I pray as we take this cup, and we, some of us have taken this many times. I pray that it would not just be an act, but it it would truly be a way of remembering you, God, that you would move in us so that we would not be inoculated to your gospel, so that we wouldn't look down on other people. But God, we would be grateful tonight that you've given us something to find ourselves in, and that is the new covenant, the blood of Jesus that was shed on our behalf and for your glory. So we pray these things in his name. Amen. You can come and take the cup as you fill in.